And we're live. Thank you guys for coming. I have some interesting stuff to talk about. So, last week I got into the Jehovah's Witnesses Elder's Handbook. And I heard from somebody recently that there's also a Mormon handbook, like a Mormon, I don't know, stake president handbook, I guess is what it is, or a bishop handbook or something. So I went in search of it. So apparently Jehovah's Witnesses handbook is reasonably easy to find. It's all over the internet. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely against the rules to have that stuff, but for some reason, it's it's reasonably widely available. But this, I had to get this through WikiLeaks, surprisingly. Like, this was a lot harder to find, and it's really poor quality. The Jehovah's Witness book that I had was, um, like, was way better quality. It was just a straight PDF, um, not photocopied or anything. You can tell this one is just like laid on a scanner and scanned into the computer one page at a time. That must have really sucked out of, what, 200 and something pages. That's insane. So anyway, it's poor quality. I really doubt anybody on the stream is going to be able to read it because I can barely read it. And this stream is significantly lower quality, but pretty interesting stuff. So let's take a look. Um, I have only taken like a glance at a couple of the things in here. I don't know if any of it's really interesting or not, but the Mormon church doesn't want us to see it, and that's reason enough for me to want to see it. So let's see what we've got going on here. Okay. So this is the table of contents. See some people on the uh, like the pod the iTunes podcasts are probably going to be bored to tears by some of this. Let's see. So we've got things like uh, just an introduction, updates and supplements to instructions, questions about instructions, application and branches, districts and missions, distribution of book one, list of items referenced, and then we've got general area and regional administration. Okay, so that's the first kind of main chapter. It talks about how they're um how they're kind of laid out, like how their their churches are structured and things like that. Then we've got stake administration. Under stake administration, we got things like purpose and organization of of a stake. So, just to give you guys a, a real basic flyover overview idea of how this works cuz Honestly, I kind of barely understand it myself, um, since I was never really a Mormon. But you've got um, individual churches, then you've got wards, and you've got stakes. Okay, so it's kind of like um, circuits and districts with Jehovah's Witnesses, where um, I know I'm going to get this wrong. I'm not sure which one wards or stakes are. I think wards are are just a grouping of like five or ten churches in a little area, basically like a county. And then you've got um, the stakes, which are higher level, and those include, I don't know, five wards or something like that. And um, the, like the ward president has keys to all of the churches in his ward and things like that. Um so anyway, so yeah, in this book, they're talking about how that is structured. 
um, you know, the regional administration, things like that. Let's move down a little bit. We've got interviews and counseling, general instructions for worthiness interviews, um, general instructions for priesthood interviews. Uh, let's see. Ordinances and blessings. Baptism. Preparing children for baptism. Now, this is something else about the Mormon church that's kind of interesting. With baptism, um, they have what's called an age of accountability. So, eight years old is the age of accountability. Anybody who dies before the age of eight years old will go to heaven, basically, in the first level of heaven or something. I'm probably completely butchering their beliefs. I apologize to any ex-Mormons if I am. But anyways, um, the age of accountability. So children, uh, once they pass the age of eight, they are responsible for their actions, and if they die without being baptized, they will not make it to super VIP heaven with God and own a planet and all that other good stuff. So these parents push their kids hard to get baptized at eight years old because, you know, they don't want to, they don't want them to die and not go to heaven with them. So, you know, that, that's kind of the root of this, um, this, this entry in the table of contents, baptism, preparing children for baptism. Um, I may actually go to that and look at that in a second. I just wanted to take a quick glance through this. Then we've got marriage. We've got temple marriage. Who performs a temple marriage? Who may attend a temple marriage? So um, they have... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word, of, uh, the word for it. They have temples, Mormons do, and then they have um, chapels, I think, is what they call it, a chapel. And it's basically like a chapel or whatever is just a, the basic church. Like anybody can go there and listen to the sermons and all that other good stuff. But temples, you have to have a temple recommend. You have to jump through all these hoops to get into the temple. You have to be in good standing and you have to have paid 10% of your income for the past year and all this stuff. That's where all the marriages and the baptisms and the everything happen. Um, well, baptisms for the dead, at least. So, um, yeah, what they're talking about here is temple marriages. I'm actually curious about what that says. So let's just jump to that, take a look. That's page 81. Um, of course, there's no search feature because this isn't text. This is a photocopy of a book. I'm so glad that WikiLeaks managed to get this out because... It's genuinely, you know, anything that somebody doesn't want you to see for the most part, like a government or a religion or something like that, um, that, that should be concerning. That should be a red flag. If there's like a government or a religion that doesn't want you to see something, you should try to see it. So uh, let's just take a look here. Temple marriage. The purpose of a temple marriage referred to in the scriptures as the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, this is really hard to read, is to seal a husband and wife for time and eternity, depending on their faithfulness. Uh, through this ordinance, a couple's children may also be part of their eternal family. Only a marriage that has been sealed in the temple and confirmed by the Holy Spirit of promise can be eternal. So they're saying you can get married um, just like 
through a regular through regular means like you can get married in a church or or whatever but it doesn't count unless you get married in their temple you won't make it to heaven together if you don't so we've got who may attend a temple marriage only members who have received their own endowments and have valid recommends may attend a temple marriage. Couples should invite only family members and close friends to be present for a temple marriage. We've got appropriate dress for a temple marriage. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw my video recently on Mormons and what they do inside their temples, but I had this video from a channel called New Name Noah, and um, it was basically hidden footage from inside a temple. And it showed these people wearing, like, veils and chanting and talking about the um, Melchizedek priesthood and all this really, really weird shit. Um, it, it seemed so cult-like when you got a closer look at it, you know? I mean, nobody can deny how cult-like it looked. Except for Mormons, I guess. They could probably deny it. Anyway, so... Yeah, let's see what appropriate dress for the temple marriage is. The bishop should review the following guidelines with each bride and bridegroom well in advance of the wedding. With each bride and bridegroom? Are they saying there are multiple? I'm kind of confused by that wording. Um, it's especially important to review the guidelines for temple wedding dresses with each bride and her parents. With each bride and her parents. Before they make or purchase the dress, the bishop should also make the following information about bride's dresses available to the Relief Society and Young Women Presidencies so they can help members be informed of the expectations far in advance of the actual events. Well, if that doesn't explain it, nothing will. I mean, to each bride. That is straight-up polygamy. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. Maybe I'll have to, like, get it clarified by a Mormon, an ex-Mormon at some point. That seems like, I mean, people are getting married, like, multiple-person marriages here. Well, I guess all marriages are multiple-person. I'm just saying multiple, multiple-person marriages. I don't know. You know what I mean. And they, Anyways, let's see. So bride's dresses. All dresses that are worn in the temple should be white, long-sleeved, modest in design and fabric, and free of elaborate ornamentation. Sheer fabric should be lined. Women's pants are not permitted in the temple. Women's pants are not permitted in the temple. Must wear a dress. Be so I'm sorry. Bride's dresses should not have a train unless the train can be removed for the temple ceremony. Okay, I don't think that rule's like that. I don't know. I don't know their reason for having that rule, but it seems reasonable to me just at its face. Let's see. Oh, so formal wear and flowers. Let's see. Exchanging rings after a temple marriage. Wow, it goes into detail about every step here. Exchanging rings is not part of the temple marriage ceremony. However, couples may exchange rings after the ceremony in the room where the ceremony takes place. Now they're using the word couples. What do they mean by couples? Are we talking... Are they marrying, like, multiple couples, or are they marrying multiple people to a single other person? I don't know. To avoid confusion with the marriage ceremony, couples should not exchange rings at any other time or place in a temple or on temple grounds. However, after the temple marriage, a couple may exchange rings at locations 
other than the temple. Jeez, they really do not want rings exchanged there. Um, a couple may arrange with their bishop to hold a special meeting for relatives and friends who do not have temple, temple recommends. This meeting provides an opportunity for those who cannot enter a temple to feel included in the marriage and to learn something of the eternal nature of the marriage covenant. God, these people are like so condescending. <clears throat> Let's see, marriage in a temple for time only? What does that mean? Marriage in a temple for time only may be performed only when all of the following requirements are met. One, the man and woman are each already sealed to a spouse who is deceased. <clears throat> okay. Two, neither the man nor the woman has been involved in any divorce while a member of the church. Three, both the man and the woman have current temple recommends and have been issued a recommend for living ordinances. Man, I wish I knew what some of this language was, like living ordinances and stuff. There is an ex-Mormon out there listening right now who's just screaming and shaking the monitor right now. <laughs> okay, let's see. <clears throat> Number four, temple marriages are legal marriages in the country where the temple is located and the couple has a valid marriage license. Bishops should encourage such worthy couples to marry in a temple. Interesting. Okay. Uh, then we've got si things like civil marriage, who may perform a civil marriage, um, civil marriage for non-members. Okay. Where to perform civil marriages, things like that. That's, that's pretty interesting. Let's see if we can find something else here in the table of contents that will catch my attention. Hmm. While you're searching through the table of contents, I wanted to uh -huh. let you know that the plague doctor is that is that uh, ex-Mormon that's screaming. Oh, really? The plague doctor? Yeah, okay. he was screaming in the chat at the exact time oh, you said that's that. That's funny. So. Okay. I may end up pulling him on. It depends on what I've got going on with time, and I'll talk to him about all that. Um, make notes if you want, um, plague doctor, and we'll talk about it. Anyway, um, let's see. So we got sacrament consecrating oil okay that that sounds interesting melchizedek priesthood offices oh man the, you know there's actually legit like a lot of interesting stuff in here i don't know about you guys but this stuff is just so interesting to me like how did these rituals and practices form they're so strange sometimes you know see sealing policies as far as i know sealing and marriage are linked in some way. I don't know exactly how. I think they may be synonyms. Not 100% sure on that. Oh, okay, here we go. We've got um, sealing after temple marriage for time only. God, that's specific. Sealing of living members after divorce. Sealing policies. Okay, let's go to page 84 and see what sealing policies are. Um, page 84... Where is page 84? It's in here somewhere. Come on. Page 84. There it is. Okay. Sealing policies. Sealing ordinances include covenants that can bind families together for eternity. These ordinances include, one, sealing of a husband and a wife. I'm sorry. Sealing of a husband and wife. And two, sealing of children to parents. Okay. So, sealing... I think is just a little bit different than marriage in the sense that it's 
intended to be done between families, um, not just like a husband and a wife, quote unquote. And I guess they're both done in the temple. A quick side note um, for you guys before I forget, I wanted to mention this. I was on Wikipedia earlier and I, I typed in a dot and and look at this. Look what comes up. Ba- Hit me, baby, one more time by Britney Spears. Why is Wikipedia suggesting I read about that song? But after I saw that, it just got stuck in my head, and it's been going in my head for like an hour, and it's driving me nuts. So uh, I refuse to listen to it to get it out of my head. Anyway, okay, so... Um, Let's see. So a husband and wife who are married outside of a temple may be sealed after one full year from the date of the civil marriage. However, this one year waiting period does not apply to worthy couples in the following cases. One, the temple in which a couple will be sealed is in a country that requires a civil marriage and does not recognize a marriage in the temple. Two, the couples live in a country where there's not a temple, and the laws of the country do not recognize a marriage performed outside the country. And three, an unchaperoned couple, an unchaperoned couple's travel to a temple will require one or more overnight stops because of distance. You know what's funny? Like that word unchaperoned in this book is just torn to pieces. Like there, I could barely make that out because it's a photocopy like this but the fact that i was jehovah's witness made me recognize that word because i heard it so often uh, when i was on the inside i was a chaperone for so many couples oh man um for those of you who haven't been religious in the past you may or may not know this you've probably been to school dances but with jehovah's witnesses Men and women could never be alone together. There always had to be a third person there. They create this really weird, excuse me, this really weird dynamic between um, men and women in that religion. And I imagine they do it the same way in uh, Mormonism based on what I'm reading in this book. So it's like um, if a man is driving a car the woman has to sit in the back seat. She can't sit in the front seat with the man. It, and they, they, like I said, they can't be alone together. They always have to have a chaperone. They have to watch what they say. It's just this really weird dynamic. And uh, a while back, there were some videos leaked um, from the Watchtower Society. They were basically Bethel training videos, which is pretty much the printing press. It's the the headquarters where they print all of their material and they write all their material. Um, So they had a leaked video for new staff members come out to Bethel. And of course, Bethelites are supposed to be like the best of the best, the, the most holy of the most holy. And in that video, you guys have probably seen it. It was my Pillowgate video. In that video, they they said some really strange stuff about, and it was oddly specific stuff, like, have you ever been alone in a room with a man and you were both drinking and then you two start to kiss or something like that? And I was like, that is scary specific. Like, they would not have given that exact scenario if it hadn't happened at some point. Uh, (laughs) 
But um, anyway, so my point here is they are now creating this weird dynamic that's between men and women. They're creating that between men and men and women and women now. It's like they're they're afraid for any two Jehovah's Witnesses to be alone in a room together, you know, lest something sexual happen. It's really a shame to see. I really hate to see that going down. Anyway, back to this. Um, let's see. Removing a restriction against temple sealing. If a person commits adultery while married to a spouse to whom he or she has been sealed. By the way, love the use of the word whom there. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. He or she may not be sealed to the partner in the adultery unless the sealing is authorized by the president of the church. Such authorization may be requested after the couple have been married for at least five years. Wow, okay. The request may be submitted with an application for cancellation of sealing or sealing clearance. Hmm. Sealing of deceased members. Ooh, see, this is the section I was looking for. Okay. Deceased women. A deceased woman may be sealed to all men to whom she was legally married during her life. However, if she was sealed to a husband during her life, all her husbands must be deceased before she may be sealed to a husband to whom she was not sealed during her life. Wow, that's a little bit confusing. Um, wow, that's so interesting. Deceased men. A deceased man may have sealed to him all women to whom he was legally married during his life, if they are deceased or if they are living and not sealed to another man. Deceased couples who were divorced. Deceased couples who were divorced may be sealed by proxy. These sealings often provide the only way for children of such couples to be sealed to parents. This is so bizarre. Is it just me or is this like bizarre? Sealing children to parents. Children who are born after the mother has been sealed to a husband in a temple are born in the covenant of that sealing. They do not need to receive the ordinance of sealing to parents. Being born in the covenant entitles children to an eternal parentage, depending on their faithfulness. However, it does not guarantee that children will be sealed to their natural parents if the parents or the children are not faithful. Wow! That is insane. If a woman who has been sealed by a former husband remarries the children of her later marriage are born in the covenant of the first marriage unless they were born after the sealing was concealed uh, who came up with these rules who wrote this was it joseph smith i mean he was around um in the what the 1830s and he was there to form out all of these rules is was he the guy that wrote a lot of this or did he just kind of guide or did he just lay down like underlying principles and some other D-bag wrote all of these? I mean, this is crazy. Okay. Let's go back up. That was kind of interesting. Let's see. Finances. Let's see. I know Mormons are pretty strict about tithing and finances. They demand it or you can't get into the temple. So <clears throat> you have to pay... 10% of your income for the year to the church or you can't get into the temple and you can't get 
basically sealed to your family, which means you won't get to see them in heaven. Um, you can't, you know, you can't get family baptized. Like, you can't do proxy baptisms for people, things like that. It's all a big racket. I mean, you'll find that a lot in uh, in religions like this. So, let's see. I would like to find something about that in this book, though. Contributions not to be refunded. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. These people are heartless. Um, contributions by members tithing. Okay, that's page 154. Let's just take a quick glance there. 154. 154. 153, 54. Okay. Contributions by members tithing. The first presidency has written, The simplest statement we know of is the statement of the Lord himself, namely that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. No one is uh, justified in making... I'm sorry, this is broken up. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. <clears throat> okay, that's first presidency letter, March 19th, 1970. Who should pay tithing? When and how to pay tithing? These are the subheadings. Use of tithing funds, tithing settlement. Okay, you know, this is another interesting thing. Um, I actually work with a Mormon. She's plenty nice lady. I like her pretty well. Um, but it leaks through. Like, you can totally tell she's a Mormon. She does super Mormon stuff. And she's talked to me a little bit about, like, how tithing works and stuff. And basically... They have this thing called tithing settlement. And at the end of the year, if you don't, like, if you decide not to pay your tithings throughout the year, or if you decide to just pay part of it throughout the year or something, come tax time, you can actually settle up on your tithings. And they'll still let you into the temple, as far as I know. So that's what tithing settlement is. And as far as I know, that's what she chooses to do, too. I, I suspect a lot of people do. Their, their tax incomes just go straight to the Mormon church. The bishop holds tithing settlement near the end of each year. In urgent cases when the bishop is absent, the stake president may authorize one of the bishop's counselors to conduct tithing settlement. All members should attend tithing settlement to make sure their contribution records are correct and to declare to the bishop their status as tithe prayers it's really hard to make out all members of a family should attend tithing settlement i'm guessing that they want all members of a family to attend uh for a number of reasons first because i imagine the children have to pay their tithings too um i don't know maybe it counts for the whole family i don't know i don't know how it works but um if you know if it isn't the result of uh, getting money from the kids too, then it's certainly because they want to shame the parents in front of the kids. Oh, you have this much to pay. When are you going to get it to us? Do you have it with you now? That kind of thing. <clears throat> then the kids, you know, the kids are hearing this. That's some really sad shit. Seriously. Okay, where was I? Um, in addition to reviewing records of members tithing, Fast okay. In in addition to reviewing records of members tithing, fast offerings, and other donations, during tithing settlement, the bishop can discuss the principle of tithing with them, 
Encourage them to give a generous fast offering and discuss other relevant matters. Okay, so I, I've actually talked to somebody about fast offerings on the podcast before. I'm not sure. I don't see them in the list here, but anyway, it's basically where they send children around with base, what what amounts to like a collection bucket, and um, and they go well in Utah at least they go like door to door and ask for fast offerings. If the church is short on money, they'll send it around and collect a whole bunch of fast offerings. So, oh, you know what? Here, this is a little section on fast offerings. Each month, members should contribute um, fast offerings that are at least the equivalent value of the two consecutive meals not eaten during the fast. Oh, that explains... Okay, so fast offering as in... You're supposed to be fasting on a certain day and you give the money that you would have spent on your food to the church. Wow. They're, t- they're taking the food right out of your mouth, aren't they? God, these people. Okay, so, so l- let me just reiterate here. Each month, members should contribute fast offerings that are at least the equivalent value of the two consecutive meals not eaten during the fast. When possible, members are encouraged to be generous and contribute much more than this amount. Oh, I bet they are. That doesn't surprise me at all to hear. To contribute fast offerings, members give offerings and a completed tithing and other offerings um, form. Oh, other offerings form to a member of the bishop. Members may also give the offering and form to ironic priesthood holders who are assigned to collect fast offerings each month and who take the offerings to the bishop, bishopric, bishopric. I don't even know what that word is. Members should not give other contributions to these ironic priesthood holders. This is so interesting. I really need to do a video on this. Like this is really interesting material to me. There's so much information in here. Like, humanitarian aid. God, this is so crazy. Okay. That's about the end of that bit. I thought that was fascinating, and I just want to share it with you guys. So, Um, yeah, we can move on to guests now. Let's see. All right, I'll tell you what. Um, Before anybody else, I'm just going to get the plague doctor on real fast. Um, Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I mean. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been tapping away here. I have an entire notepad full of stuff awesome. that I uh, that I wanted to clear up here. So, um, awesome. So, first thing that kind of uh, was tugging at my head here is that uh, the brainwashing is still there for me. Seriously, it's, it's still there like, for what? Uh, like for for me personally, oh, okay. it's it's still tugging whenever yeah. i hear someone talking about the church in a negative light even though i know it's true i know me too it's it's still there with me too i understand yeah so first thing that i had written down here is that how wards and stakes work uh at least i, I believe it might change from area to area but uh where i am it's that there's two wards per building and a stake is like Every ward in a 10-mile radius or something like that. Okay, so it's it goes individual churches and then wards and then stakes, right? 
I'm pretty sure. Okay. <clears throat> and then um, I, I just had written down here that the Melchizedek priesthood is a line of priesthood that allows for baptisms for the dead, which is uh, I have written down here somewhere. One second, let me look through here. Okay, so, so it's a priesthood that allows for baptism of the dead. You said right? Yeah. Got you. So. Okay. For baptism of the dead, I never really made it far enough personally into the priesthood to really understand what it meant. Oh, I see. Um, so yeah, you have to. I, so I, you have to be like a member of the Melchizedek priesthood or whatever, and earn your way up to that point before you can get baptized for the dead. Is that what it is? It, yeah, but it's mostly by age and how long you've been in the church, uh, based on that age. I got you. Okay. So um, it's basically, from what I've heard, it's like making sure the dead have it good in heaven or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. So there are, like, different levels to heaven as far as I understand. Does that sound right to you? I, I have it written down here. One second. There's, okay. like, three levels of heaven or something like that. Let me just... Um, okay. So it's uh, celestial, which is, like, the VIP zone where only the best can go. Um, terrestrial, the people who like maintained uh, faith, even though they messed up sometimes, but they always ended up fessing up to it. Right. And then telestial is just for members of the church who never really did anything. Okay. They were just there. And then there's another thing called like the outer darkness, and they they never say hell directly in the Bible uh, or the Book of Mormon, should I say? They they do in the Bible a lot because you know that's everyone's book right. pretty much. But um. The outer darkness is essentially just hell. There's there's nothing. It's for the worst of the worst, apparently. Got you. That's so fascinating. So to get into like the first, uh, it, to get into any of the three levels, you have to be baptized as Mormon. Is that right? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. That is so crazy, man. Like some of these beliefs just blow my mind. By the way, um, can you tell me the difference between us, like sealing and marriage? Do you know? Uh, marriage uh, specifically is actually a type of sealing as far as I've been told, which is like, um, it's like saying that both spouses are together forever now, no matter what. And, uh, may I mention, um, I have it written down repeatedly for me. Um, most of the enforcement in this church is based on peer pressure from friends and family. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because the way that sealing works is that the person in the lowest part of whichever kingdom they make it to is the one who drags the other spouse down or the other person that they're sealed to. Yep. That's so crazy. Um, you find a lot of that in um, like in Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff, too, with the peer pressure and things like that. Interestingly enough, I actually released a video earlier where I was talking about um, the peer pressure and stuff. I wasn't really peer pressured as much into like getting baptized myself, but, um, it does happen. It, and it wasn't really peer pressure, quote unquote, but it was my parents pushing me. It was, you know, um, older friends pushing me and things like that, like older people in the congregation. And then I started a trend and got all of the other kids in the congregation baptized because, you know, I was doing it and they, they gotta be just as holy as me. So you find that kind of thing a lot, but anyway, that's yeah. really crazy. Do you have any other uh, points that you wanted to like any corrections or anything you wanted to? Yeah. There, there's yeah. a whole bunch of people saying uh, in the discord chat, I can see right now. I, I'm, I find it kind of funny, but <laughs> baptisms for the dead isn't necessarily 
uh, exhuming the dead body. Right. It's um, it's getting someone else and just saying uh, he represents the spirit, pretty much. So it's like a and, proxy, right? So they, yeah. So like you would go in, for example, and get baptized, but you have to say the person's name who for whom you're getting baptized, right? Yeah, and usually it has to be someone in your bloodline, someone in your family that you can do it for. You can't do it for fucking Joe down the street. Right, you know? right, right. And it has to be but, the um, same gender, too, I think. No, it doesn't have to be as far as I can remember because okay. we're, we're, we're told, get all names possible for baptisms of the dead. That's so uh, crazy, man. Yeah, there's also um for tithing, it's uh, the way that it works is 10% of your income, no matter how big or small your income is, and the whole thing of saying they have to confirm how much it is, but um, it ha- they, they, they are basically saying that when these guys, these henchmen uh, per se, uh, go up to the bishop and say that it's something like that, they're making sure it's 10% of your income. And I personally, last time I consciously remember uh, giving tithing was when I five so right so do and, like do the kids have to contribute anything or is that just yes, in, like, fast if offers? kids get allowances they're they're donating 10 percent. it's like taxes pretty wow, much man. just the church takes it from you directly from their pocket That's... and the whole um the whole fast offerings collections yeah um it's uh it depends on the area i'm pretty sure but literally every month at the end of the month they send out two or three people to go door to door on anyone on the ward list, inactive or active, and they will ask for fast offering. Wow. And if you don't do it, it's considered kind of rude, you know? That's but, really interesting. I wonder, like, what if somebody is quote unquote an apostate? I guess they probably get removed from the list if they're an apostate, right? If they denounce a church, you mean? Something yeah, like that? yeah. Yeah, they get removed from the list if they basically say, I do never want to see you again. Yeah. Uh, someone just asked me this. Uh, I do not live in Utah. I live out in Georgia in the middle of fucking nowhere. Right? Well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but you know what? It's better than Utah. So <laughs> uh, yeah, on that yeah. note, I do have one more question. So I'm going to move on in a second. How about the very last best point that you've got? Do you have one more thing you want to point out? Um, so this was a question that I heard you ask. Yeah, uh, Joseph Smith made literally every rule that the church follows. All of them. He wrote them supposedly from God's mouth. Oh, sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting, man. I mean, I'm sure you know this story, but for people who don't know this story, like, you you know, I'm sure people have heard that he looked in a hat or something and read from these tablets or whatever. It's even stranger than that. Like, you guys should definitely go research the story and read about it. It is some really, really crazy shit to read about. But I appreciate you coming on and uh, making those corrections and talking to me for a couple minutes. I'm going to move on to another person, okay? Yeah, man, thanks. Yep. Man, this guy is... I mean, Joseph Smith is a nutcase. Um, You know what? He was a genius. He was. He was a genius. He knew what he was doing. Dude was on it. He was on point. Still freaking crazy, though. Okay. Um, oh, you know, one more thing I wanted to mention about Joseph Smith before I move on to the next person, which is going to be 
Bree Bree the Bee. I'm going to unmute in just a second, but um, from what I've heard, so, okay, so when Joseph Smith was young, he did these, basically these cons where he found a, a rock in a well, and he would tell people that he, um, that he could find their buried treasure or whatever. It was a seer stone, a divining stone, if you will. And it, he could use it to find their treasure or their lost items or whatever else. So they would pay him money to find this, and he used this stone to do it. This is long before the Book of Mormon or any of that other stuff. He was just, he's like 15, 16, maybe in his, you know, late teens, early 20s kind of thing. I'm not really sure. But anyways, um, so... Of course, it was a con. He couldn't find any of the money. What would usually end up happening is he would. Um, what would end up happening is he would uh, he'd get to the money, quote unquote, above the ground. He'd say, "Oh, there's a hex on the money, and if we dig for it, it's gonna make it go even deeper into the ground. It's lost forever." But I found it, so I'm keeping your money that you paid me. So. Um, well, anyways, years pass, and he ends up, quote-unquote, finding the Book of Mormon in this chest or whatever, these gold plates, um, and in this container that that housed the gold plates were some seer stones, supposedly. And uh, as the story goes, he used the seer stones for the first portion of the translation, but he ended up switching to that same stone that he used for those confidence tricks when he was younger for the rest of the book. So, I mean, it was just a stone he found in a well one time, and he's using it to supposedly translate a book. I mean, it's ridiculous. How can anybody possibly believe this? Well, aside from that, recently they released pictures. The Mormon church released pictures of this seer stone that he used the one he found in a well and uh it's really interesting stuff let me see um let's see if i can pull it up on uh the google machine the electric google machine yeah here you go uh this is a picture of the seer stone that joseph smith found in a well when he was a kid and used to con people including the entire mormon church later on um yeah, he'd throw the stone in a rock. I'm sorry, he'd throw the stone in a hat, and he'd put his face in the hat, kind of like this picture here, and he would tell this dictator, or this, dic what, dictationist? I don't know, uh, what to write. Um, and apparently he actually did it some other ways, too. It wasn't just throwing it in a hat and, and doing that. Apparently he would, um, he would sit behind a curtain sometimes, too, um, Let's see. Joseph Smith, Curtin, Dictate. I bet that'll turn up some results for you. Yeah, there you go. Here's another depiction of it. So he, in this one, he's looking at the gold tablets and dictating to this guy. Of course, it's all BS. None of it happened. It's it's complete garbage. But um, anyway, okay. Next person. Um, okay. Actually, I'm sorry, Bree. Um Looks like the next person is gl uh, need for gleed, but I will get to you. There's still time, so just give it another minute. Can you hear me? Are you there, gleed? Hello. Hey, how's it going? 
a pretty decent. I was a bit late to the stream today by about ten minutes because it's up my nine or grandfather's ninetieth birthday party. Oh well, congratulations to him, and and no problem, man. I was actually just um you know reading some Mormon stuff anyway, so it's no big thing. But anyway, very interesting stuff there. Yeah, yeah, it's freaking crazy, right? <laughs> So, anyways, uh, what religion did you grow up as? Are you still religious, or? Um, my father was um, Christian growing up. I don't know exactly what branch, but it was more of um, the family attended for his mom. And then um, my mother's family, um, they would have been paying at lip service as well. Um, they gave my mom the option to go to church every week or to join the swim team. And so I'm sure you can guess what she chose. Sure. <laughs> Um, and so my family never really grew up religious. When I was little, I self-proclaimed myself a deist when I was about three. But since then, I've not been religious okay. at all. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good that it hasn't really been shoved down your throat or anything like that. So let me ask you this then. What was it that kind of got you interested in this subject in the first place? Like, how did you find yourself on this little corner of the Internet? <laughs> so both of my parents are teachers. And my family very much values higher education. And um, my cousin Taylor was actually the head of uh, the Democratic Party um, in 2008. And then this year oh, wow. uh, for Washington State. But um, that's neither here nor there for beliefs. And but um, one cool, of her though. big things for why she was in politics was she very much hated the fact that religion was being forced upon other people. And she wanted to get into politics to remove religion from politics. And so speaking to her, she actually got me interested, farther, uh, furthered by my dad's own interest. Good. It sounds like she's on the right track and doing good work, hopefully, for all of us. I mean, I, I'm sure we can probably all agree that we'd like to build the wall between church and state, right? For a second, I thought you were going to say something very I know, different. I know. <laughs> I saw somebody with that shirt recently. It was like... Uh, Let's build the wall between church and state. I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny, but now I'm generally, honestly, I don't, I don't get into politics usually, at least not on my main channel because I don't want to like alienate anybody and I don't have any problem with you either way. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or, or anything conservative or, or libertarian, whatever. But I personally would identify as libertarian slash liberal. So I, I I don't know. I voted for, I don't know if I can say who I vote for. I was in favor of Bernie Sanders becoming president. Um, but anyway. She was too. Hmm? Um, yeah. There was what? a whole issue with Washington because it's one of like, I guess the Democratic swing states in terms of like who they uh, nominate to be the Democratic Party's representative. Right. That was the whole issue with Bernie Sanders because he had the overwhelming support, but the heads who got to choose anyways went for Hillary. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, this was during Pride uh, Month. You and I were talking about um, the fact that although the American majority was like four, uh, it, no, it's King and Pierce County. Sorry, just saw somebody saying only King matters. No, no problem. Um. Yeah, but gay people in America, this was like a side thing I wanted to talk to you about, mm -hmm. or at least specifically Western Washington are generally fairly supported, especially because of like Seattle and other things. Right. But when I actually went to Pride Fest, I was so surprised there were a ton of protesters and this was in Seattle, which is pretty gosh darn gay. 
Right. And I think you and I spoke for a little bit after the podcast. Yeah, I think I remember that. That was, uh, which podcast was that? Was that the last one? No, no, this was a while ago. This was like um, end of June. Oh, okay, okay. So a few podcasts ago, right. Yeah, I missed um, the three podcasts ago. Right, right, I've got you. Yeah, go on. I was going to ask what the issues are like, um, because you told me like the bigger cities are obviously generally a bit more to the left. Mm -hmm. It is pretty gosh darn gay. Sorry. No, no, I'm always in the chat, and the chat is. But I was going to ask, like, in the area that you are, obviously, you don't need to share where that is. Are people mostly for or against it? Because it's obviously legal now, but it seems like a lot of people are still very active. Yeah, against yeah, it. sure. Um, in my area, in fact, in my entire state, in fact, in my entire tri-state area, um, they are overall against it. So. I live in West Virginia, and this was like every county in this state voted for Trump um, because it wasn't Hillary, which I can, you know, I can understand. I'm not even going to get into that. But, uh, yeah, it's super conservative here, super Christian. It's like the heart of the Bible Belt, although I have seen more conservative areas. Generally, when you when I see somebody on the street, I can probably expect they're not going to support gay rights for the most part, so. Uh, there are some people in my area who are like-minded, but not very many, honestly. So, but anyway, did you have any other questions Sorry. for me or anything? Anything you wanted to that address? That was a big one, but then I wanted to know. Um, in my area, like specifically, hmm. we don't really have any JWs, but I would say that the majority religion, because although I'm in Western Washington, they have like these deep, like redneck type pockets. Yeah like that are off in the woods and nowhere. And that's one of the towns that I'm in. We have a ridiculous number of Mormons and it's like, it seems that there's two waves. There's like the adults who are super conservative and the kids who are far more like, I guess you could say um, reformed Mormon, which is more of like that one channel you went on with all of the younger people who were like Mormon apologists. Yeah. Yeah. The three Mormon channel. Do you think that the apologists are like the key to sort of like the weakening of the church's overall power? Or would you recommend like trying to make the views less extreme before leaving? Or how did you go about that? That is an interesting question. Um, hmm. I think the way I would go about it is um, generally trying to spread information. Now, my my podcast and all of my stuff is on YouTube, and that targets a younger audience. Um, people who are in their fifties and sixties, they're pretty much in it for life. I mean, I've seen people come and go in religions. And as far as I can tell, once they reach a certain age, they're probably in it for the rest of their lives. Like you don't, you see a massive wave of people leaving before 18 to 20 years old. And then you see another massive wave of people leaving before say 30. If they don't make it past, or if they make it past 30 in the religion, it's probably going to be damn near impossible to get them out for the rest of their lives. It happens, but at that point, they've already gone through their teen years where they're um, kind of struggling and asking these questions and dealing with doubt and all that good stuff. So the fact that I'm on YouTube is actually serving a really good purpose in the fact that I'm addressing younger people where the indoctrination isn't completely set in yet. And, um, 
you know, and hopefully I can pull some people out with with some of the videos that I make, make them kind of see reason and, and logic. And it appears to be working at least a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful about that. So that leads me in. Do I have time for two yes or no questions before yes, I head off for this person? Okay, so the first one is, would you be in favor of making it um, against the law um, for the indoctrination of children under, let's say, like the age of eight in terms of like, sending them to a church or allowing them to attend a church would you be for that or not against the law but rather like restrict the access for it um i am for religious freedom so i'm gonna say no i'm not for that i would like to i mean i'm not against it inherently necessarily but i'd like to really hammer out some serious details because that's treading on rights and that's pretty delicate business so overall i'll say no and then going for that then um Mm -hmm. the removing of tax exempt from churches and i don't mean just like cult churches i mean all churches yeah yeah well tax exemption is given for uh this is this is a yes or no question i'm giving you a long answer it's fine uh totally fine so anyway um tax exemption is given for organizations who prove that they have something of value to add to society and it's basically like a government subsidy that's what it is because they you know just throwing a number out there some random number say they you know they don't have to pay 10 percent of their money in taxes so now they have an extra hundred million dollars a year depending on how big they are or how much money they make that is a government subsidy tax exemption is and i don't feel like any religion that I've seen so far adds more value uh, than damage that it does. So I feel like they do more damage than they do good for the world. So no, I would be completely against any religion having tax exempt status. I fully agree on that one in Western Washington, and I guess Eastern Washington as well. Mm -hmm. um, Churches don't even have to show their ledgers because the whole point of nonprofit is they have to show that they're like doing something with that money to help people. But they don't even have to prove that they're doing it in Washington. They can just sort of get it. It's like it's it's like special treatment for churches. It makes me sick, and I really hope that people like your sister continue fighting for removing those types of things because that's poison. Did you did you see the Tistianity the other day? I don't on the other stream. Don't think so. Um, she created her own mock religion in order to go against the um. Oh. You were talking about my cousin earlier. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you said sister there. And oh, did I? Oh, okay. Podcast. I'm sorry. I thought it was yeah. your sister. Okay, gotcha. My sister is very intelligent. She started her own mock religion, Tistianity, and they created huh. a little cult where they worship our pet hedgehog. Oh, that's funny. Um, and it was to make fun of because, like I said, my area is mostly redneck, so any sure. kid who's gay or of color, they have a lot of hard times in our town. Of course. That's so we funny. one black man. family. Well, it sounds like they're fighting the good fight, so I hope that continues. And I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to move on to the next person, though. Maybe we'll talk again, I'm okay? Okay. Right. See ya. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Um, we do need people out there doing that. FYI, there is nothing stopping you guys from running for office. Um, I mean, it does. You know, it it, it can cost money when you are running for president or something it can cost like two billion dollars or something i forget there's some standard amount but um 
you know, that's that's expensive. But running for some office could be done without spending a dime. Um, it would be hard, but it's possible. So anyway. Um, okay, the last person was Bree Bree the Bee. Oh, where is she in this list? I hope it's a she. Where is the... I don't see Bree in here. Crate, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, she's there. Hold on, I'll unmute her. Okay, that works. There you go. Are you there? Can Hello? you hear me? Hey. I can hear you. So, we haven't spoken on the podcast before, right? That is correct. We've spoken before when you've started the whole podcast. Right. I remember. You've been around for like a really long time on this server, haven't you? Yep. I joined just after we hit the 100 on That's here. That's so crazy. Well, I appreciate you being here so long. I know a couple others like Solipsy Ray has been here for like ever so that's awesome. Thanks for being here. So tell me, like, are you still religious? What religion did you come from? Well, currently I am Wiccan. So I I believe I believe in worshiping the earth with Gaia through astral, which is kind of my own thing, which I can't really prove, obviously, but I sure. just enjoy it. Sure. Kind of thing. Just kind of like a pastime. I enjoy it. But I did grow up actually Christian. I actually hopped around between many different denominations. But over time, I realized there were flaws in each one. And slowly over time, I was like, okay, which one do I want to be? And then I'm like, you know what? Why don't I try none? And I just realized that none of it made sense. That's awesome. So you're Wiccan now, you said, right? Yes. So tell me about it. Like, what, what is involved in your worship or your beliefs? Well... One of the great things about being Wiccan is that there's really no rules. You put, you make the rules yourself. Mm. There's no like guidelines that you can follow other people's, but I made my own. Like I worship the stars and I do sigil sigil writing a lot, which is kind of like a form of relaxation for me. Since it's really nice too. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Um, I've spoken to some Wiccans um, and some other versions of paganism. From what I understand, Wicca is, uh, it was created in like the 1950s. Is that right? Does that sound right to you? That sounds about right. That's pretty interesting. Um, actually, my sister was investigating Wicca at 1.6-bit. She's on the server. But that's pretty cool. Um, she actually gave me a book on it. So do you ever do any like kinds of spells or anything like that? Not really. That's a completely different side. I, I don't do a lot of that. I believe more in just one-on-one -on -one relationships. Okay. With just me and nature, mm. in a sense. And so that's what I focus on a lot. I've got my own garden. I grow and raise as kind of like my way to connect with the earth and nature and help give more of what I'm taking back. Sure. Yeah. Kind of like a flora fauna aspect of it. Right. There was a um there was a I was watching like Neil deGrasse Tyson recently. I don't know if you guys know him. You probably know him, but he was talking to somebody. They asked him what he wanted to happen when he died. Like what do you want to happen with his body or whatever. And he said his wish was to be buried so that the 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 flora and fauna upon which he dined throughout his life can now dine on him. I thought that was kind of very circle of lifey uh, of him to say. I don't know. I, I appreciated that answer. I thought it was pretty good. 
Yeah. It was. It's one of my favorite quotes from him myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's really pretty cool. But anyway, uh, was there anything like you wanted to talk about? Anything you wanted to ask me or anything like that before I, I get going? Well, I mean, I know I mentioned it to you earlier in the like ask Telltale portion mm. of it, but I'm not sure if you saw my message afterwards after I mentioned I got Possible Temple Hole by I my didn't. place. I've also recently they built a Mormon temple by us recently. Okay. To, on top of that, and we and also. To top that off as well, about 100 miles from my place is a new Jewish mosque. Really? A Jewish mosque, yeah. huh? In the middle of Missouri. You mean a Jewish synagogue? Yeah, synagogue. My apologies. That's it. Oh, no, too, you're good. Too many religions. <laughs> you're good. That's interesting. In Missouri, like, you don't see that very often. Um, I know there's a uh, synagogue in the city near where I live. I don't really know of any others in this area, though. It's just a single synagogue. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. I would love to, like, go to some of their services sometime. I've never been to a Catholic service before, like Mass. I'd love to go to Mass one of these days just to kind of see how it works and stuff. Just a heads up. Don't fall asleep. It's really easy, too, in those things. Right. It's really easy to fall asleep in. I know. I I do have to keep that in mind. And on that note, I think I'm going to get going. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me, and maybe we'll talk again, okay? No problem. See you around. All right. Yeah, I actually... um, That's the thing about Jehovah's Witnesses. This will kind of be my final statement. With Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't have, like, any... um, They don't have anything to keep the, the kids entertained. Like, a lot of churches have things to keep kids entertained you know they have a youth program and all this other junk uh, sunday school and stuff jehovah's witnesses the kids just go right in there with the adults and they sit there and they just listen to this guy talk at the front for two hours at a time and so i definitely know something about falling asleep at church oh my god man i fell asleep so many times you know what happened when I fell asleep? My dad was never a good Jehovah's Witness. He would draw mustaches on our faces if we fell asleep. My brother Ahab probably remembers that. I bet Six Bit remembers that too. But yeah, he did that. And then he got talked to by the elders. He's like, oh, you're not treating this like Jehovah's house and all that junk, you know. Yeah, Six Bit remembers mustaches, she says in the in the chat. <laughs> Anyway, good times. Okay, well, I appreciate you guys coming on, and I'll see you next week.